0: Chapter 3 of Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah Balm, Cambridge, UK. Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World by John Timms. Chapter 3. The Finster Arhorn. Ascent in 1858 by J. tyndall since my arrival at the hotel on the 30th of july i had once or twice spoken about ascending the finster ahorn and on the 2nd of august my host advised me to avail myself of the promising weather a guide named benen was attached to the hotel a remarkable looking man between 30 and 40 years old of middle stature but very strongly built His countenance was frank and firm, while a light of good nature at times twinkled in his eye. Altogether, the man gave me an impression of physical strength, combined with decision of character. The proprietor had spoken to me many times of the strength and courage of this man, winding up his praises of him by the assurance that if I were killed in Bennon's company, there would be two lives lost— for that the guide would assuredly sacrifice himself in the effort to save his hair. He was called, and I asked him whether he would accompany me alone to the top of the Finster Ahorn. To this he at first objected, urging the possibility of his having to render me assistance, and the great amount of labour which this might entail upon him, but this was overruled by my engaging to follow where he led, without asking him to render me any help whatever he then agreed to make the trial stipulating however that he should not have much to carry to the cave of the falberg where we were to spend the night to this i cordially agreed and sent on blankets provisions wood and hay by two porters my desire in part was to make a series of observations at the summit of the mountain while a similar series was made by professor Ramsay, in the valley of the rhone near vich with view to ascertaining the permeability of the lower strata of the atmosphere to the radiant heat of the sun during the forenoon of the second i occupied myself with my instruments and made the proper arrangements with ramsay i tested a mountain thermometer which mr cassella had kindly lent me and found the boiling point of water on the dining-room table of the hotel to be a hundred and ninety-nine point two nine degrees fahrenheit At about three o'clock in the afternoon we quitted the hotel and proceeded leisurely with our two guides up the slope of the Eigishhorn. We once caught sight of the topmost pinnacle of the Finster Ahrhorn. Beside it was the Rothhorn, and near this again the Ober-Ahrhorn, with the Viesch Glacier streaming from its shoulders. On the opposite side we could see, over an oblique buttress of the mountain on which we stood, the snowy summit of the Weisshorn, to the left of this was the ever grim and lonely matterhorn and farther to the left with its numerous snow cones each with its attendant shadow rose the mighty mishabel we descended and crossed a stream from the murrier into which a large mass of glacier had recently fallen and which was now afloat as an iceberg we passed along the margin of the lake and at the junction of water and ice I bade Ramsay good-bye. At the commencement of our journey upon the ice, whenever we crossed a crevasse, I noticed Benin watching me. His vigilance, however, soon diminished, whence I gathered that he finally concluded that I was able to take care of myself. Clouds hovered in the atmosphere throughout the whole time of our ascent. One smoky-looking mass marred the glory of the sunset, but at some distance was another, which exhibited colours almost as rich and varied as those of the solar spectrum. I took the glorious banner thus unfurled as a sign of hope, to check the despondency which its gloomy neighbour was calculated to produce. Two hours walking brought us near our place of rest. The porters had already reached it and were now returning, we deviated to the right and having crossed some ice ravines reached the lateral moraine of the glacier and picked our way between it and the adjacent mountain wall we then reached a kind of amphitheatre crossed it and climbing the opposite slope came to a triple grotto formed by clefts in the mountain in one of these a pine fire was soon blazing briskly and casting its red light upon the surrounding objects though but half dispelling the gloom from the deeper portions of the cell. I left the grotto and climbed the rocks above it to look at the heavens. The sun had quitted our firmament, but still tinted the clouds with red and purple, while one peak of snow in particular glowed like fire, so vivid was its illumination. During our journey upwards the Jungfrau never once showed her head, but, as if in an ill temper had wrapped her vapory veil around her, She now looked more good-humoured, but still she did not quite remove her hood, though all the other summits, without a trace of cloud to mark their beautiful forms, pointed heavenward. The calmness was perfect. No sound of living creature, no whisper of a breeze, no gurgle of water, no rustle of debris, to break the deep and solemn silence. Surely, if beauty be an object of worship, these glorious mountains, with rounded shoulders of the purest white snow— crested and star gemmed were well calculated to excite sentiments of adoration i returned to the grotto where supper was prepared and waiting for me the boiling point of water at the level of the kitchen floor i found to be a 196 degrees fahrenheit nothing could be more picturesque than the aspect of the seal before we went to rest the fire was gleaming ruddily. i sat upon a stone bench beside it while bennon was in front with the red light glimmering fitfully over him my boiling water apparatus which had just been used was in the foreground and telescopes opera glasses haversacks wine keg bottles and mattocks lay confusedly around the heavens continued to grow clearer the thin clouds which had partially overspread the sky melting gradually away the grotto was comfortable THE HAY SUFFICIENT MATERIALLY TO MODIFY THE HARDNESS OF THE ROCK, AND MY POSITION AT LEAST sheltered AND WARM. ONE POSSIBILITY REMAINED THAT MIGHT PREVENT ME FROM SLEEPING, THE SNORING OF MY COMPANION. HE ASSURED ME, HOWEVER, THAT HE DID NOT SNORE, AND WE LAY DOWN SIDE BY SIDE. THE GOOD FELLOW TOOK CARE THAT I SHOULD NOT BE CHILLED, HE GAVE ME THE BEST PLACE, BY FAR THE BEST PART OF THE CLOTHES, AND MAY HAVE SUFFERED HIMSELF IN CONSEQUENCE. BUT HAPPILY FOR HIM HE WAS SOON OBLIVIOUS OF THIS. Physiologists, I believe, have discovered that it is chiefly during sleep that the muscles are repaired, and ere long the sound I dreaded announced to me at once the repair of Benin's muscles and the doom of my own. The hollow cave resounded to the deep-drawn snore. I once or twice stirred the sleeper, breaking thereby the continuity of the phenomenon. But it instantly pieced itself together again, and went on as before. I had not the heart to wake him, for i knew that on him would devolve the chief labour of the coming day at half-past one he rose and prepared coffee and at two i was engaged upon the beverage we afterwards packed our provisions and instruments Benin bore the former and i the latter and at three o'clock we set out we first descended a steep slope to the glacier along which we walked for a time a spur of the falberg jutted out between us and the inladen valley through which we must pass this we crossed in order to shorten our way to avoid the crevasses loose shingle and boulders overlaid the mountain and here and there walls of rock opposed our progress and rendered the route far from agreeable we then descended to the grunhorn tributary which joins the trunk glacier at nearly a right angle being terminated by a saddle which stretches across from mountain to mountain with a curvature as graceful and as perfect as if drawn by the instrument of a mathematician the unclouded moon was shining and the jungfrau was before us so pure and beautiful that the thought of visiting the maiden without further preparation occurred to me i turned to benen and said shall we try the jungfrau i think that he liked the idea well enough "'though he cautiously avoided any responsibility. "'If you desire it, I am ready,' was his reply. "'He had never made the ascent, "'and nobody knew anything of the state of the snow this year. "'But Lowener had examined it through a telescope on the previous day, "'and pronounced it dangerous. "'In every ascent of the mountain hitherto made, "'ladders had been found indispensable, but we had none. "'I questioned Benin as to what he thought of the probabilities,' and tried to extract some direct encouragement from him, but he said that the decision rested altogether with myself, and it was his business to endeavour to carry out that decision. We will attempt it then, I said, and for some time we actually walked towards the Jungfrau. A grey cloud drew itself across her summit and clung there. I asked myself why I deviated from my original intention the finster Arhorn was higher and therefore better suited for the contemplated observations i could in no wise justify the change and finally express my scruples a moment's further conversation caused us to right about and front the saddle of the grunhorn the dawn advanced the eastern sky became illuminated and warm and high in the air across the ridge in front of us stretched a tongue of cloud like a red flame and equally fervid in its hue looking across the trunk glacier a valley which is terminated by the Loch saddle was seen in a straight line with our route and i often turn to look along this magnificent corridor the mightiest mountains in the oberland form its sides still the impression which it makes is not that of vastness or sublimity but of loveliness not to be described the sun had not yet smitten the snows of the bounding mountains but the saddle curved outer segment of the heavens which formed a background of unspeakable beauty over the rim of the saddle the sky was deep orange passing upwards through amber yellow and vague ethereal green to the ordinary firmamental blue right above the snow curved purple clouds hung perfectly motionless giving depth to the spaces between them There was something saintly on the scene. Anything more exquisite I had never beheld. We marched upwards over the smooth, crisp snow to the crest of the saddle, and here I turned to take a last look along that grand corridor and at that wonderful daffodil sky. The sun's rays had already smitten the snows of the Eletchhorn. The radiance seemed to infuse a principle of life and activity into the mountains and glaciers, but still that holy light shone forth and those motionless clouds floated beyond reminding one of that eastern religion whose essence is the repression of all action and the substitution for it of immortal calm the finster Ahorn now fronted us but clouds turbaned the head of the giant and hid it from our view the wind however being north inspired us with a strong hope that they would melt as the day advanced i have hardly seen a finer ice-field than that which now lay before us considering the neve which supplies it it appeared to me that the vische glacier ought to discharge as much ice as the Alech, but this is an error due to the extent of the neve which is here at once visible since a glance at the map of this portion of the oberland shows at once the great superiority of the mountain treasury from which the elec glacier draws support still the ice-field before us was a most noble one the surrounding mountains were of imposing magnitude and loaded to their summits with snow down the sides of some of them the half-consolidated mass fell in a state of wild fracture and confusion in some cases the riven masses were twisted and overturned the ledges bent and the detached blocks piled one upon another in heaps while in other cases the smooth white mass descended from crown to base without a wrinkle the valley now below us was gorged by the frozen material thus incessantly poured into it we crossed it and reached the base of the finster our ascended the mountain a little way and at six o'clock passed to lighten our burdens and to refresh ourselves the north wind had freshened we were in the shade and the cold was very keen Placing a bottle of tea and a small quantity of provisions in the knapsack and a few figs and dried prunes in our pockets, we commenced the ascent. The finster Ahorn sends down a number of cliffy buttresses separated from each other by wide couloirs filled with ice and snow. We ascended one of these buttresses for a time, treading cautiously among the spiky rocks afterwards we went along the snow at the edge of the spine and then fairly parted company with the rock abandoning ourselves to the neve of the couloir the latter was steep and the snow so firm that steps had to be cut in it once i paused upon a little ledge which gave me a slight footing and took the inclination the slope formed an angle of forty-five degrees with the horizon and across it, at a little distance below me, a gloomy fissure opened its jaws. The sun now cleared the summits, which had before cut off his rays, and burst upon us with great power, compelling us to resort to our veils and dark spectacles. Two years before, Benin had been nearly blinded by inflammation brought on by the glare of the snow. He now took unusual care in protecting his eyes, the rocks looking more practicable we again made towards them and clambered among them till a vertical precipice which proved impossible of ascent fronted us Bennon scanned the obstacle closely as we slowly approached it and finally descended to the snow which wound at a steep angle round its base on this the footing appeared to me to be singularly insecure but i marched without hesitation or anxiety in the footsteps of my guide we ascended the rocks once more continued along them for some time and then deviated to the couloir on our left this snow slope is much dislocated at its lower portion and above its precipices and crevasses our route now lay the snow was smooth and sufficiently firm and steep to render the cutting of steps necessary benen took the lead to make each step he swung his mattock once and his hindermost foot rose exactly at the moment the mattock descended there was thus a kind of rhythm in his motion the raising of the foot keeping time to the swing of the implement in this manner we proceeded till we reached the base of the rocky pyramid which capped the mountain one side of the pyramid had been sliced off thus dropping down almost a sheer precipice for some thousands of feet to the finsterar glacier A wall of rock about ten or fifteen feet high runs along the edge of the mountain and this sheltered us from the north wind which surged with the sound of waves against the tremendous barrier at the other side. Our hardest work is now before us, said my guide. Our way lay up the steep and splintered rocks among which we sought out the spikes which were closely enough wedged to bear our weight. Each had to trust himself and I fulfilled to the letter my engagement with Benin to ask no help. My boiling water apparatus and telescope were on my back, much to my annoyance, as the former was heavy and sometimes swung awkwardly round as I twisted myself among the cliffs. Benin offered to take it, but he had his own share to carry, and I was resolved to bear mine. Sometimes the rocks alternated with spaces of ice and snow, which we were at intervals compelled to cross, sometimes when the slope was pure ice and very steep we were compelled to retreat to the highest cliffs the wall to which i have referred had given way in some places and through the gaps thus formed the wind rushed with a loud wild wailing sound through these spaces i could see the entire field of Agassizs observations the junction of the lauterar and the finsterar glaciers at the abschwung the medial moraine between them on which stood the Hotel des neufs-chatelois and the pavilion built by monsieur dolphus in which huxley and myself had found shelter two years before benin was evidently anxious to reach the summit and recommended all observations to be postponed until after our success had been assured i agreed to this and kept close at his heels strong as he was he sometimes paused laid his head upon his mattock and panted like a chased deer. He complained of fearful thirst, and to quench it we had only my bottle of tea. This we shared loyally, my guide praising its virtues, as well he might. Still, the summit loomed above us. Still the angry swell of the north wind beating against the torn battlements of the mountains made wild music. Upward, however, we strained, and at last, on gaining the crest of a rock, Benin exclaimed in a jubilant voice, The highest point. In a moment I was at his side and saw the summit within a few paces of us. A minute or two placed us upon the topmost pinnacle, with the blue dome of heaven above us, and a world of mountains, clouds and glaciers beneath. A notion is entertained by many of the guides that if you go to sleep on the summit of any of the highest mountains, you will sleep the sleep that knows no waking. Bennon did not appear to entertain this superstition and before starting in the morning i had stipulated for ten minutes sleep on reaching the summit as part compensation for the loss of the night's rest my first act after casting a glance over the glorious scene beneath us was to take advantage of this agreement so i lay down and had five minutes sleep from which i rose refreshed and brisk the sun at first beat down upon us with intense force and I exposed my thermometers, but thin veils of vapour soon drew themselves before the sun, and denser mists spread over the valley of the Rhone, thus destroying all possibility of concert between Ramsay and myself. I turned, therefore, to my boiling water apparatus, filled it with snow, melted the first charge, put more in, boiled it, ascertaining the boiling point to be a hundred and eighty-seven degrees Fahrenheit. On a sheltered ledge about two or three yards south of the highest point, I placed a minimum thermometer, in the hope that it would enable us in future years to record the lowest winter temperatures at the summit of the mountain. This thermometer was found in August 1859, and the reading of the index was minus 32 degrees centigrade. It is difficult to convey any just impression of the scene from the summit of the finster One might, it is true, arrange the visible mountains in a list, stating their heights and distances, and leaving the imagination to furnish them with peaks and pinnacles, to build the precipices, polish the snow, rend the glaciers, and cap the highest summits with appropriate clouds. But, if imagination did its best in this way, it would hardly exceed the reality and would certainly omit many details which contribute to the grandeur of the scene itself, the various shapes of the mountains, some grand, some beautiful, bathed in yellow sunshine, or lying, black and riven, under the frown of impervious cumuli, the pure white peaks, cornices, bosses and amphitheatres, the blue ice rifts, the stratified snow precipices, the glaciers issuing from the hollows of eternal hills and stretching like frozen serpents through the sinuous valleys the lower cloud-field itself an empire of vaporous hills shining with dazzling whiteness while here and there grim summits brown by nature and black by contrast pierced through it like volcanic islands through a shining sea add to this the consciousness of one's position which clings to one unconsciously that undercurrent of emotion which surrounds the question of one's personal safety at a height of more than fourteen thousand feet above the sea and which is increased by the weird strange sound of the wind surging with the full deep boom of the distant sea against the precipice behind or rising to higher cadences as it forces itself through the crannies of the weather-worn rocks all conspire to render the scene from the finster Ahorn worthy of the monarch of the bernese alps my guide at length warned me that we must be moving repeating the warning more impressively before i attended to it we packed up and as we stood beside each other ready to march he asked me whether we should tie ourselves together at the same time expressing his belief that it was unnecessary up to this time we had been separate and the thought of attaching ourselves had not occurred to me till he mentioned it. I thought it, however prudent, to accept the suggestion, and so we united our destinies by a strong rope. Now, said Benin, have no fear. No matter how you throw yourself, I will hold you. Afterwards, on another perilous summit, I repeated this saying of Bennon's to a strong and active guide, but his observation was that it was a hardy untruth, for that in many places Bennon could not have held me. Nevertheless, a daring word strengthens the heart, and though I felt no trace of that sentiment which Bennon exhorted me to banish, and was determined, as far as in me lay, to give him no opportunity of trying his strength in saving me, I liked the fearless utterance of the man, and sprang cheerily after him. Our descent was rapid apparently reckless amid loose spikes boulders and vertical prisms of rock where a false step would assuredly have been attended with broken bones but the consciousness of certainty in our movements never forsook us and proved a source of keen enjoyment the senses were all awake the eye clear the heart strong the limbs steady yet flexible with power of recovery in store and ready for instant action should the footing give way "'such is a discipline which a perilous ascent imposes. "'We finally quitted the crest of rocks "'and got fairly upon the snow once more. "'We first went downwards at a long swinging trot, "'the sun having melted the crust "'which we were compelled to cut through in the morning. "'The leg at each plunge sank deeply into the snow, "'but this sinking was partly in the direction "'of the slope of the mountains, "'and hence assisted our progress.' Sometimes the crust was hard enough to enable us to glide upon it for long distances while standing erect, but the end of these glissades was always a plunge and tumble in the deepest snow once upon a steep, hard slope. Bennon's footing gave way; he fell and went down rapidly, pulling me after him. I fell also, but turning quickly drove the spike of my hatchet into the ice, got good anchorage, and held both fast my success assuring me that I had improved as a mountaineer since my ascent of Mont Blanc. We tumbled so often in the soft snow, our clothes and boots were so full of it, that we thought we might as well try the sitting posture in gliding down. We did so and descended, with extraordinary velocity, being checked at intervals by a bodily immersion in the softer and deeper snow. "'I was usually in front of Bennon, shooting down with the speed of an arrow, and feeling the check of the rope when the rapidity of my motion exceeded my guide's estimate of what was safe. Sometimes I was behind him, and darted at intervals with the swiftness of an avalanche right upon him, sometimes in the traverse line with him, with the full length of the rope between us, and here I found its check unpleasant, as it tended to make me roll over.' My feet were usually in the air, and it was only necessary to turn them right or left, like the helm of a boat, to change the direction of motion and avoid a difficulty, while a vigorous dig of leg and hatchet into the snow was sufficient to check the motion and bring us to rest. Swiftly, yet cautiously, we glided into the region of crevasses, where we at last rose, quite wet, and resumed our walking until we reached the point where we had left our wine in the morning— and where I squeezed the water from my wet clothes and partially dried them in the sun. We had left some things at the cave of the faulberg and it was Benin's first intention to return that way and take them home with him. Pending, however, that we could traverse the Vesha Glacier, almost to the Eggish Horn, I made this our highway homewards, at the place where we entered it, and, for an hour or two afterwards, the glacier was cut by fissures, for the most part, covered with snow, we had packed up our rope, and Benin admonished me to tread in his steps three or four times. He half disappeared in the concealed fissures, but by clutching the snow, he rescued himself and went on as swiftly as before. Once my leg sank, and the ring of icicles, some fifty feet below told me that I was in the jaws of a crevasse. My guide turned sharply it was the only time that i had seen concern on his countenance sie haben meine tritten nicht gefolgt. doch was my only reply and we went on he scarcely ever tried the snow that he crossed as from its form and colour he could in most cases judge of its condition for a long time we kept the left-hand side of the glacier avoiding the fissures which were now permanently open we came upon the tracks of a herd of chamois, which had clambered from the glacier up the sides of the Oberarhorn, and afterwards crossed the glacier to the right-hand side. My guide, being perfect master of the ground, his eyes went in advance of his steps, and his judgment was formed before his legs moved. The glacier was deeply fissured, but there was no swerving, no retreating, no turning back to seek more practicable routes." Each stride told, and every stroke of the axe was a profitable investment of labor. We left the glacier for a time and proceeded along the mountain side till we came near the end of the trift glacier, where we let ourselves down an awkward face of rock along the track of a little cascade and came upon the glacier once more. Here again, I had occasion to admire the knowledge and promptness of my guide. The glacier as is well known, is greatly dislocated, and has once or twice proved a prison to the guides and travellers, but Benin led me through the confusion without a pause. We were sometimes in the middle of the glacier, sometimes on the moraine, and sometimes on the side of the flanking mountain. Toward the end of the day we crossed what seemed to be the consolidated remains of a great avalanche. On this my foot slipped, there was a crevasse at hand, and a sudden effort was necessary to save me from falling into it. In making this effort, the spoke of my axe turned uppermost, and the palm of my hand came down upon it, thus inflicting a very angry wound. We were soon upon the green cliff, having bidden a last farewell to the ice. Another hour's hard walking brought us to our hotel. No one seeing us crossing the Alps would have supposed that we had laid such a day's work behind us. The proximity of home gave vigour to our strides, and our progress was much more speedy than it had been on starting in the morning. I was affectionately welcomed by Ramsay, had a warm bath, dined, went to bed, where I lay locked in sleep for eight hours, and rose next morning as fresh and vigorous as if I had never scaled the Finster Arhorn. John Tyndall, Glaciers of the Alps End of chapter 3 Recording by Deborah Balm, Cambridge, UK